Occasionally, each of us experience a conversation that is deeply honest and meaningful. This episode's conversation is just that. I'd like to introduce you to Eric Eklund, the founder of Connecting Humans. Here, he discusses the importance of meaningful relationships in our lives and the power of human connection. We have experienced something. All of us have experienced something right now. We have probably, hopefully, been reminded about what really, really matters in our lives, such as the relationships to the people that really, really matters. So I'm very optimistic about that, and I want to be part of that. In this episode, we discuss some of the most difficult experiences of our lives and what we have learned from them. We also discuss the importance of human connection while demonstrating it between us. And we challenge conventional thinking on concepts including personal brand and thought leadership through a conversation about the breadth and importance of authenticity. So, what is the importance of real human connection? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Thank you for joining me today. My absolute pleasure. I'm happy to be here as well. Thanks. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about Eric? What should they know about you? (laughs) Well, Eric is right now a little bit frustrated, to be honest, about what's going on in the world. And uh, Eric is still feeling a little excited about that a lot of uh, what I believe is going to be the key to how we go get out of this and the values that I've been preaching about for so long, this thing of that it doesn't really matter if you are having 100K followers on the social media platform or if you live in Asia and in the US or if you're black or white and all this stuff. It's like we are human beings and something that I've said so long is that we are human beings. So I'm feeling a bit excited in the midst of everything. That's probably the thing that you should really know about now and the rest you will find out later. I love that you brought that up because if nothing else, I mean, this virus has made the world seem much smaller than it had. It's been kind of a great equalizer amongst all of us. Oh, yes. It has brought us together and many, even looking at random Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn posts, suddenly people realize this thing of, oh, yeah, human connection. We all humans. We all in it together. It's like, did we really have to come to this point until we realized that? Right. I mean, I I think it's kind of um, some of the pros and cons of social media that we're seeing more and more of today. I think before the pandemic, there has been a lot of question about social media, the health of social media. Are we using it appropriately? Are we appropriately connecting with other people? And now we're all of a sudden in this place where we have to start connecting through technology differently than we had in the past. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like that's going to, I mean, you talked before about you know, the focus on having lots of followers and lots of content on social media. And I'm wondering a little bit more about your insight of that or why, why you said that or where you feel like we might be going now in this, all of a sudden we're in this kind of new age of finding connection online. I think right now, I'm hoping this is happening, but I would really, I really think it, it will happen too, based on what I'm reading and seeing around me. It's this thing of, you know, how we will get out of this. Like, how people like hashtag in it together, we are in it together, we are together, together is better and all that stuff, right? Has suddenly grown and exploded like a volcano. 
And I believe that right now people around the world realize that, well, yeah, you can have 100K followers if you want to. You can have, you can push content every day on social media. But if you do not nurture trusting relationships with these people that you're actually connecting with, you know, if you even are connecting with them, right? Then it doesn't matter. And right now it's, it's coming to the test where you may have seen like, Leaders like the CEO for Marriott International gave this very authentic speech as a leader. And people are really paying attention to this right now on how do businesses, those who consider themselves being leaders, those who consider themselves or have been influencers, well, how do they really respond to this right now? And how do they connect and, and nurture that relationship with their people? Right. And that's an interesting thing to think about. thing that pops in my head when you're talking through that is what is the actual definition of connection? Yeah. So beyond just, I'm on a Zoom meeting with Eric right now. I'm having a conversation with Eric right now. What's the difference between me having a conversation with you really from across the world, which is kind of cool, you know, anyway. But what's the difference between me having this conversation with you and me connecting with, with you, Eric, on a different part of the world. I had this conversation, I think it was a year and a half ago, where I said, what's the difference between interaction and connection? And I did a whole little series about this, and it really came down to a connection is, you and I can sit here right now, and people can listen in and be like, oh yeah, I like this guy Eric, or I like this girl Rebecca, right? There has to be an amount of liking between the, the two individuals, or three, or whatever individuals speaking, right? There has to be a component which is, I like that person. So it's like an energetic exchange. But then there also have to be, so there's this emotional exchange between the people that I feel that I can relate, I can feel that I connect. It's nothing logical about the connection, all an emotional, it's always a spiritual component to that. If I cannot, I mean, I can talk to you right now, but you know, you and I can sit and talk and you just feel like, he's so dry, he's so boring oh i'm not connecting with this guy well that's the thing we're having a interaction because we're exchanging thoughts ideas words stories but are we connecting with them that's a whole different question so that would be the definition of what connection is it must be an emotional emotional exchange between the two that where the two feel attracted towards each other yeah. And it, what's really interesting is I think a lot of people are afraid of making that type of connection, especially in the workplace, for sure. A lot of folks who are in business, folks who might own businesses and working with clients and so forth might have fear of that interpersonal connection and in turn probably have some level of fear of showing you know, authenticity, showing their true self, being truly honest about what they feel or what they hear. And to be honest, some, some environments, some companies in particular, their culture may actually frown upon that level of deep honesty with people. Well, you said it very well, the thing of, especially in business context, and my entire job, I rebranded myself as of this year and just figured out like the one angle I'm going for is the engagement of people. And how, I mean, engaging means how do we influence other people to take decisions and act upon them? There has to be an action upon the decision-making. Everything around us is really about that thing of how do we influence one another ourselves to make decisions? 
And therefore, it, it's a bit amusing for me at least because I, I'm thinking about when I realized if there is not an emotional aspect within that, it's like a positive emotion, people won't act in that desired way. However, we can look at one emotion that has worked brilliantly for decades, and that's fear. And you can see it so much in the workspace as in, if you don't show up on time, if you do not do that, you might lose your salary, you might be fired, you might not be promoted, you might not get your bonus, all this stuff, you might get in trouble. And that fear is driving people. It, it really motivates people to start taking action. But again, it's like, hey, it is a connection right there because it's an emotional component, it's an emotional exchange, but that's another question. Another question comes out of that is how sustainable is that? Right. Because, yeah, definitely a different type of motivator. We use fear to avoid bad consequences. That definitely encourages us to shut off from one another, not necessarily connect. Some people can find some level of connection in relation to shared fears. Um, I think in the current environment in particular, probably cynicism or people who feel like they're trying to feed off of one another in order to feel safe. But the power of intrinsic motivation, not to try to avoid a bad consequence, but instead to achieve something uh, that, of meaning, of purpose. How do, how do you suppose people maintain that today? I mean, I think a lot of people probably are afraid of maybe losing their job. Yeah. Afraid of, you know, going out of business, afraid that, you know, some companies are afraid they'll have to lay off employees. I mean, these are very difficult decisions people are going to have to make over the next uh, few months. How do you suppose people face, just Eric's opinion, face that level of fear with maybe some level of courage and empathy so we can continue to focus on what's important, which is really connecting authentically with one another? First is to actually have the courage enough to face and accept what we are scared of. There's a huge portion of the world who are scared right now. They are fearing that they will lose their jobs, they will not have any more businesses, everything is, they will die. I mean, seriously, this coronavirus is taking over the world. And, you know, see, when they get into that mood, they can excite themselves so much that they get lost in the whole maze of fear. And then other people easily connect to that because, again, it is a connector. It is an emotion. We can get lost in the whole fear-based living right now. But I believe what we can see very quickly, and I saw this video about how McDonald's employees did or did not get paid sick leave or not. This will be a period where the businesses that we will aspire to and the leaders that we will aspire to they will have to show up right now. They have to step forward because right now we will see who will be the ones who are too scared of acting. They are facing the fear of, oh my God, I, whatever, what can I do with all my employees? I need to do Y and Z. So instead of facing it, accepting it, and then addressing it as in, okay, guys, our cash flow this month, all our projects, the upcoming months, we have nothing. It is really looking sad. I'm really feeling this thing of, I, I'm scared. I don't know what to do right now. But that honesty in itself is like, okay. And then come to the point of, but I would love us all to stay together. I would love all of you to remain within the business, within the company. I would love to. Can we try to find a solution together here? 
And once we are moving past that phase, of, I, I faced the fear, I accepted it, having the courage to do so, and then saying, but I would love to. What is the desire? What is the enthusiasm? What is the objective that you actually have, right? Then address that and say, I need help. That's all. Or here's a couple of ideas that we would try to be able to do so. And I understand that we might actually have to minimize our workforce. That might have to be one option. But every single idea right now are super welcome. How do you feel if somebody would say that to you? Yeah, I mean, I think in this day and age, it would transform people from that place of fear to a place of purpose. If a leader comes to you and says, I need your help so that we can work through this together and come out the other end, there's a lot of purpose and meaning behind that. Exactly. If as an employee, I would imagine I would feel very empowered and purposeful about having that ability to work together as a team with my leaders, with my teammates, in order to come up with solutions to almost impossible problems that nobody could have foreseen. There aren't good solutions for this because we've never been through this before. Yeah. I mean, in history, of course, there's been other pandemics, but not in our current world where we have experienced our whole society pretty much shutting down, or at least things that were very familiar to us, all of our cultural events, all of our typical methods of connecting with other people in person are gone. Not sure what we can do or when we should venture out or if we're going to have you know, things that we need to feed our families or things that we need around the house when this is all going to end. <laughs> yeah. And there was one person who said to me that, oh, Eric, you know, I'm just going to wait. You know, we'll get back to normal soon. I'm just going to wait. <laughs> the people and businesses that will come out of this period stronger than they were before will be the people that realized how to use this period as a momentum to innovate themselves, innovate the way they were doing businesses. It's not going to be a normal as we were used to it. It will be a new normal. And that new normal will be based on what you create out of what's happening right now. So I was just looking at this lady who was telling me this and go, no, if you're waiting for that, we will return to normal. I foresee that you probably will not have that many opportunities coming your way once this period is over and you will feel pretty behind on what has happened. And these periods that have happened in the past has always, every single period in history has shown that it's the moment of creation and innovation for something new and something greater. Absolutely. I, I've heard that a lot from folks. It's just like, we'll be back to normal soon. I think there's some level of comfort in that. Yeah. So if you wanted to alleviate your fear about the uncertainty, saying that things will go back to your familiar normal sounds very comforting. But I would agree with you. I don't know that I believe that normal in the future will be the same as normal was two months ago. Mm, 100%. And that's why I even thought, it's kind of easy to say, yeah, like to use this period to innovate ourselves. But like that example I gave about that person who's saying, okay, you know what? This is the fact. This is what's happening. May I ask you help? These are the options. Here's the desire. But it's also this thing of social cooperation. We are homo sapiens. And I've been reading books lately, and I've been reading this big book, Sapiens. Have you seen that one? Have you read it? Yes. Mind-blowing. And I mean, I think, it's within, I think it's within the first chapter. It's like, you know, Homo sapiens. Our, own, the, our reason to why we can evolve, survive, create, reproduce is because of social cooperation. And I, when I'm reading this, I'm like, yes, 
we, the ones that are sitting there not reaching out for help right now, not offering help or trying to do that by themselves, doesn't understand the aspect of that for us to grow. I mean, for you to be there where you are right now, you had so many people in your life helping you towards that point in your life. And right now will be a moment where you will, we will be able to see who have been the people and companies who have been able to attract, but most, most importantly, engage their teams, their people, their, their friends, their families, their communities, whatever it is, right? These will be the organizations and the people that will have a higher probability to innovate themselves and actually come out of the other end and be like, I did this. I was there. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I'm glad you brought up sapiens, just kind of being realistic about who we are as creatures on this planet, right? Yeah. Do you think that we might come out of this experience having a better understanding about what we actually need in relation to social contact with one another? It's a very good question. First, I hope so. Second, I think that my personal opinion here, we are all online now. We are calling one another. I received this email from my mobile operator who said, like, you're calling each other like crazy. I like that email, but it's a good one. And yes, I think right now we're all sitting at home. We are quarantined and we have all technology available, right? And suddenly you see people, you see hairdressers showing tips on their Instagrams. You see personal trainers doing live classes. You see governmental officials giving tips on their Twitter or in video formats. So we are going online, right? And we are realizing there's a method of connecting. We are still wanting that in our lives. But still, I argue this, I still think most of us are getting sick tired of this. We are still like, I want to get out of here. I want to get out. I want to be like, oh, I want to be, oh, going to be. And every time they say that, I, I feel I have a little other voice in my saying like, so what is it you really want when you say that you want to get out? You want to meet people. And therefore, I think to answer this question of yours that yes, people will realize with this time that, okay, online is good. It is cool. But that one-on-one -on -one or whatever in a group when I can actually feel you and have that connection, it's nothing like it. Yeah. And it's interesting because we, we minimize the importance of that in-person interpersonal connection. The reality is there's a lot of research that backs that up. And I'm going to put that in the show notes too for listeners as well. We actually experience each other much differently in person than we do over video. And I'll say this, Eric, I've had a couple of very good conversations with you over Zoom. So I'm very thankful that technology allows me to connect with you uh, overseas in the way that we are now and have this very honest and open communication. I think the two of us are probably different than a lot of people and that we're very comfortable having these open and honest conversations. Yeah. Some of it's probably because of our background. You've had a very interesting kind of life journey uh, that's taken you all over the world, has presented you with some level of challenges, and you have found ways to overcome those challenges. And in fact, found a very positive way to look at life and, and talk to people and inspire people. You, you bring joy and you bring joy to me. Like I enjoy talking to you. Oh, thank you. You want to talk a little bit about your journey and kind of where it's worth taking you here. Okay. What would you like to ask me? Where would you like me to start? So you grew up in Sweden. 
I am mostly Swedish too, which is interesting. I don't know if I told you that, that my grandmother grew up in Suna, Sweden. And I, my, so my great grandmother also on the other side of the family, also from Sweden. So um, we actually have Swedish roots as well. A place I've never been, hope to go someday. But, but I would love to know kind of your journey. Like you started, you grew up in Sweden and then kind of ended up on this long journey uh, to, took you to the U.S., took you to Spain, took you uh, on some very interesting things that you've done in life. You know, that's a long story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let me put it this way. Curiosity. My mom said once, Eric, if there's one thing that will kill you would be curiosity. And I think that actually is one of my middle names. And it's very much the reason why I have been doing what I'm doing. So it's kind of starting where I feel that you wanted me to start there, but being adopted to Sweden and growing up there. And uh, yeah, without fluffing this one down or anything, it was far from a fairy tale story. We may think and feel that, you know, we are so open to everybody and it's okay, but you know, how do you, even you, the one who's listening right now, or you, Rebecca, like, how do you react when there is a complete stranger entering your environment? Are you the one who's just standing like, hey, welcome, welcome home or into my workspace or into my community of friends or my soccer team, you know, whatever it is. Or are you the one that honestly being a bit like, so who's, who's, who's this dude? Like, what, what is he going to do? Why is he here? Is he okay? And again, I think it's in our nature to make sure that we keep safe. But for me, it was like, yeah, I grew up in Sweden. I have fluffy, big, curly black hair. No one had that. No one had black skin color around where I'm from. Honestly, I looked very, very different. And in 19, you know, 1990, it was, I mean, adoption was rare. It was not something common at that time. So I remember that I grew up pretending a lot, pretending to try to make friends, pretending to, to be cool with that people touch my skin and were like, oh, look at me, I don't get any colors on my fingers. Why are your hands not the same both sides? Why is your hair so fluffy? Look, I can put my pen in your hair and I can like put it there. It sounds like fun. They probably didn't mean too much with it. But for me, that was just, someone always pointing out that I was just different and I came home many evenings crying in my pillow and to my plush teddy bear angry at my mom and dad for bringing me to this place in the world where nobody wanted me and there were several that said go back to where you came from and I really wanted my mom and dad like why can't I not go back to where I came from this was my way of starting my journey in my life in the story of Eric and since I just, from the beginning there, for some reason, I cannot tell you why, there's no logical explanation behind it, I think. I just refused to listen to it. I thought, I got to do something. And I kept doing something every time. Like, I kept doing something to say, when somebody said, you can't run that far, I ran that far. If somebody said, you can't go to that city, I went to that city. I was a bit of a rebel in the beginning, just wanted to prove people that I could And I think that shaped the way of thinking and and being that made me this curious person who just said, when people say to me that right now, I don't know what to do with my business. You know, the coronavirus is right here and I have nothing to do. I'm like, seriously, there's a lot you can do right now. I refuse to give up. I'm going to stop where I just refuse to give up. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I, I say that I, I'm one of those refuse to give up people too. <laughs> Thank you. And so I might get knocked down every once in a while. It might, might mope. Yes. <laughs> and then I pick myself up and say, nope. <laughs> Uh, that I'm going to keep moving on. So I think um, one of the words I think of when I hear your story, again, is perseverance. Yeah. And I, and I think what's really interesting about perseverance is that folks that have gone through struggles in life, it doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't feel those struggles or feel defeated or feel, uh, you said, just just tremendously different. But what really happened is that you were able to turn that around, pick yourself up and keep moving forward. And I kind of hear that in your story is that you learned over time just by potentially necessity, but also just by by sheer will and kind of motivation to continue may have started even with wanting to kind of prove, uh, prove yourself or prove people wrong. And I'll say this, I've been in that place where I felt like I wanted to prove people wrong. Um, I had a different, obviously completely different story than, than you had, but had my own struggles in life, you know, and um, went through some, you know, period that I was married previously and gone through abuse to pick myself up and say, I'm not going to stay in this place. I'm going to move forward and do something differently and, and make something of myself here. Uh, and it's hard, but I think there's some lesson to be learned here, even in the current time yeah. is saying that even though we're afraid, even though we feel knocked down, even though we're in a difficult circumstance for us to be able to see something beyond that or find some level of hope that there's a future that's better than this, or that we can take what we're learning right now and shape a different normal for the future that may potentially be better, Uh, might not be what we're comfortable with, uh, what we're used to, but maybe there's something here we learn about how important it is that we connect with one another and see each other and find these things that we have in common. Maybe some of the hope, and this is just mine, I'd be interested to know your thoughts too, is that this really is an equalizer. And we see that this virus has impacted literally everybody across the world, regardless of your culture, regardless of your country, regardless of your background, everybody. Let's talk about optimism for the future. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, This one got me going about a week ago. Good. Number one thing you're optimistic about for the future. Right now, nobody knows what will happen in one week, in one month, in half a year. Nobody knows. And I'm excited about that. I'm very optimistic because I know that the way, even the way that I have taught myself, as you said, this thing of always having the ability to look for and hope for something better. And I think it's grained within us. There are many other human beings on this planet right now that are feeling, we gotta get out of this. And I feel that whatever it will be when we get out of this, I really want to be part of that. I, ha- I even want to be part of shaping what that might be because that I'm very optimistic about. We, we have learned, we have experienced something. All of us have experienced something right now. We have probably, hopefully, been reminded about what really, really matters in our lives, such as the relationships to the people that really, really matters. So I'm very optimistic about that and I want to be part of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do. And I see that I get excited about just thinking about that too, because I think it is basically kind of opening up a hotbed for potential uh, meaningful innovation. Yes. When I say meaningful, because one of the beefs I had before all of this happened is innovation, you know, is being measured by number of patents, uh, which, which is fine. We might not have a better measure, but the problem was a lot of those patents 
were not necessary solutions that were very meaningful, like that were going to have huge impacts in how we live our lives in ways that makes our make our lives better. I feel like now we have different problems to solve. Mm-hmm. Those problems are very meaningful because they really speak to our experience as human beings and to some extent has opened up this whole possibility around things around like climate change. Mm. People are viewing climate change differently now because of this experience and understanding that maybe this is a wake-up call. Yeah. Is this what happens when we have significant impact to our climate that impacts our world or impacts the the weather events that happen around us that might lead to the same type of situation? Yeah. When you're saying all this, I'm thinking, you know, you're in the U.S., I'm in Spain. But, you know, looking at this now, you said how we might realize how small the world is. Yes, because right now, like for instance, Barcelona, Spain is a big tourist spot. That people are not coming here right now, huge economic impact. That's one. But then I thought about a friend of mine who often were in Belgium, who goes to Africa a lot with Brussels Airlines to do business in Africa and then bring it back to Belgium and all this stuff, right? Anyway, and they're saying this thing of, well, we're not flying anymore over there. And the, they were depending on that these businesses came to that city in, like, for instance, Nairobi. And, you know, it's not coming anymore. That's a whole different continent that we're talking about. But suddenly we're realizing how, how connected we really, really are. And then also how similar we really are. We can't just push each other away anymore. And that's why I'm also being like, yes, because after this, I mean, seriously, I, I was walking home today. I was thinking about this. I, I read a couple of LinkedIn profiles on the way and just I had this moment. Best-selling authors, experts, gurus. And they just came to me. And I'm like going, you just launched your book, dude. No offense, but that's probably a good job. You've been doing a good job. You're probably reading and learning and writing a lot. And then you're saying that you're your best-selling author, you just published a book. I'm just using this as one example. And we're putting it up in our headlines to be like stouting it out to the world. Best-selling author. Or I'm receiving these con- blogs about career seekers who are just being like, say that you're a manager, say that you're an expert. But you're starting. I mean, the relationships is the first matter of all business. Connection is very much the first essence, the basic essence of life. And you're starting it off with a lie. You are not the best-selling author when you just published your book. If you haven't done online Zoom calls, how can you be an expert at it? You can say it to the world so you can get the attraction if you want to. But then, I imagine that person, and I believe these are many, you say you're a best-selling author, cool, what book did you write? Book XYZ. Ah, I check on Amazon. Published 2020, March, sold 15 examples. Now, what will you feel? What will you start questioning about that person? And will you trust now that the person was the best-selling author? And there I just mentioned that word. The trust is gone. And now in this time, what's going to happen after this, I hope, is this thing that, hey, if you not lead nurturing relationships for the purpose of actually gaining each other's trust, I don't think we're going anywhere. And this period, I hope, reminds us about how important it is to have that relationship with people around us that trust one another. What you said was very powerful 
because we've got this trend on social media. And yes, I'm going to go there. <laughs> and I know there's probably some people that I know personally will be mad at me for going there. But I'm going to go there because I think this is an important topic. Okay. Are we diluting the term thought leader? Totally. Totally. As in like, are we diluting the word thought leader? Yeah, because it's so popular, so cool, and so like, yes, to be a thought leader. I want to be a thought leader. Uh, long story short, I'm stepping off the stage, giving a speech, and there's a guy coming up to me and saying, oh my God, Eric, I also want to be this inspirational speaker. How can I become one? And I go, thank you so much that you're thinking that. And do you want to become an inspirational speaker? And he's like, yes, I want to be this inspirational speaker. I want to be a thought leader. And I go, okay, so what is it you want to be a thought leader of? What is it you have done that you want to inspire others by telling? And he's, he's looking like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing that much right now, you know? I'm, I'm just, whatever. I'm like, first of all, stop right there. You're not just one whatever. But second of all, to be a thought leader, to be an inspirational speaker, if that's the objective, you must have done something and then you must be sharing that to the world so that the people actually can take value out of it and then find you inspirational. Find whatever that did is inspirational. And they might later find you a thought leader in the field of, for instance, human connection. But focus and start with what it is and why you want to do it. And then relentlessly start doing it. Just because you know how to Photoshop pictures and put them on Instagram or whatever and be a thought leader because you know how to hack the Instagram algorithm and use the hashtags, right? So you get a number, like a boost of followers and you're probably going to pay some agency to do some growth hacking as well. That's not, and now I'm pissing people off too, not thought leadership. Wow. I... Actually, yeah, I'm like applauding you over here because I think this is amazing. And people, this is the thing that a lot of people I think are starting to think more and more are afraid to say. <laughs> because even I've gotten this advice, yeah. right? As I've started the podcast and things, I just do this stuff because I think you and I are similar in, in this way. I get this idea about something that I think is meaningful and that I'm motivated to do. And then I just go do that thing. And this podcast was one of those things that I'm like, hey, here's something I can talk to people about that I enjoy, that I think is important. I find people like Eric Eklund, who's willing to talk to me about it. We have these amazing conversations. I get to record it and publish it. And maybe other people will listen to it. That's pretty cool to me. Yeah. But I'm not doing this so I can go out there and say, I'm Rebecca Scott, and I am a thought leader. <laughs> I've had people also tell me, you know, that I, should, I need to write a book. And I tell you what. I've already started five books because I wanted to. Uh -huh. And no, they're not done yet because I went many different directions all at once. <laughs> and I need to pull it all together. But that was my creative outlet uh, yeah, yeah. because I loved it. I needed to get all those things out of my head, right? Yeah. I never thought about it when I'm writing these things down. Like, I want to be a thought leader. That won't be my purpose. Yeah. My purpose is to share the ideas and the connections that I made with other people and see if other people connect with those ideas too. Yeah. Very well. That's beautiful. But Thank you. I knew I needed to get that off my chest. Good. Good. And yes, there's a lot of people scared of actually saying these things because we're still selecting what we want to show the world. 
and some people are very good at selecting what they want to show the world. And it's like right now with you, now what I'm saying this is I'm not thinking about what they will think. The only thing I'm having in my mind right now is that I want to tell you what I think. And if now whoever is listening to this likes what I'm saying, I'm like, great! Because then there's a message there and there's a value given. If there are people saying like, dude, Eric, I have no idea where we are. And again, long story short there, I'm talking a lot about personal branding and the thing of what is personal branding really is. And there's these people that come across and go like, dude, Eric, I have no idea what personal branding is. Social media literally defines your personal brand. And this is the moment when you just go like, what did you just say? Like social media defines your personal brand. Just imagine a world without social media. There has been one world like that not too long ago. Did people not have a personal brand back then? That's my first like, hmm. Second is just like, I get it. Having a nicely designed website that matches with your Instagram account and then your photos and your videos, what you're wearing, it's totally like aligned, right? I mean, for instance, I'm wearing a shirt right now because I, I know I want to be talking to you in my mood of where I feel that I'm more sharp than when I'm sitting in my sweaters. But that is because I'm starting from within, not from what will you think about me in a shirt. And therefore, it's this thing of, yes, you can care about all this technology, like how your accounts look like, but how many times did you meet a person that you have seen a video of, you've seen the photos, you might even have read a book of the person, right? There's so many different ways of how to communicate your personal brand. And then you meet that person and then the person is completely different. That can be also expectations, right? But I'm saying the probability to create that connection with whoever it is, you, your audience, the ones you want to talk to, if you're being first honest to yourself, if you're figuring out you, and in the way you want to be talking and all this stuff. And then you do that. You can't get around that. You got to do it. And then these people, they connect with you because you did it that way. And then they meet you in person. And I still remember so many times I'm meeting these people in, for instance, I have a work group workshop for a company and they go, you are just like in your videos online. How do you do that? And it's very simple. I don't make it different if I'm on a video here right now or if I would be on a stage in front of 100 people. I'm starting with me. So that's where my frustration really comes to. I don't even know how I got there. You have to remind me, but it's Rebecca. But this thing of personal branding, saying what needs to be said, say it because it's what you believe in, it is what you stand for, it's what you want to share to the world. And then, of course, you care, you can care about, and you can see how people react and respond to that. But there will always be people that do not like what you do. Right. But the one thing that I'm so glad you brought up and that we continue to kind of, the theme here we've got, and I, I can't even talk anymore because I'm so excited about this conversation right now. Okay. okay. <laughs> Is authenticity. Oh. Showing up as ourselves everywhere that we go. And everything we do, and I love the point you brought up about if people were to read your book or see you online or whatever, and then meet you in person, would you be the same person that they'd expect to meet? 
And I know I felt that way. I'll get the what you just mentioned, because we get this kind of idealistic view about who people are yeah. based on how they've presented themselves out in the world that may or may not be accurate to who they actually are. And for me, I've had people actually tell me that I'm too authentic. <laughs> but kind of back to your point, like, I don't have to worry about getting it wrong because I'm always just going to be me. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to always be perfect. Mm-hmm. And people aren't always going to like it. And I found, though, a lot of people actually do. Yeah. And I find that I have better connections with people, better conversations with people. And I genuinely connect. Like, I, you know, we talked before, I genuinely like you, Eric. I think you're a great person. Thank you. Like, I build a connection with you because we have honest conversations and we're just sitting here being who we are. Yeah. That's awesome. And you hit the needle of the head there. You had better conversations. You met better people. And this is something I would like whoever is listening right now, take this away. It's not about just having connections and relationships and followers and all this stuff. It's about having the right connections with the right people. And the right really means how many people trust you, support you, like you, believe in you. How how, do you believe in, I'm saying very much like this to make it short, like personal branding is you being you and communicating that to the world to gain others' trust, but also, important here, to trust in yourself. So when people talk about strong personal brands and you know strong relationships, I would love to challenge everyone with this little one-question test. It is, okay, you say you have a personal brand. In that case, the one way of measuring that is to say, how well are you trusting yourself and how well do you gain others' trust? If that's something that you feel very, that comes very easily and people like you and I right now, you're like, wow, yes, yes, whoa, like Rebecca, seriously, I have no doubt so so to say about you. If somebody would say they would like to be on a podcast, I would say Rebecca Scott right now because of the connection, first of all, the emotional exchange that we have. But second of all, is this thing of, hey, yep. This is a person that have opened her mind or opened her heart in a way that I can trust her by feeling that connection towards you for that. And trust will not come if we feel that people are lying, if we feel that people are faking it. You know, if we don't, if we can't relate to that in one way or another. So we can say that you have a strong personal brand because you have 100k followers but i seriously arguing it's the wrong benchmark to say that if you have, you have a strong personal brand or not if you say that you're a popular person but you have a bunch of followers who only like you because i don't know you know how to get do 100 100 push-ups or you know how to put yourself in a bikini photo on instagram doing a yoga pose but as soon as you speak they go like no now, that's not, that's not an effective way to measure if you have a strong personal brand or if you have great relationships. Right. And I would agree. But I think it all probably does come down to what are the things that we value in life? Oh, yeah. 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 And sometimes it kind of goes back. And I've had that conversation, I think, a little bit before we talked previously about what success looks like to us. What's our personal opinion about what success means? Yeah. I think this this factors in here because I think a lot of folks that have that uh, social media image campaign yeah. have a different version of what success looks like than maybe I would. And I'd be interested to know what does success look like for you, Eric? 
how would you define success? Okay. I feel success for me is very much when I feel aligned and in tune with myself. I have it many years, admittedly here, many years where I'm doubting myself. I'm having those dreams where I'm waking up in the middle of the night and you're having these dreams. Thoughts, you're just laying there thinking. Just in the beginning of this year, I ended a collaboration because I, I was just thinking about all these things that I maybe should do, maybe should not do because I was battling what wasn't what I wanted to. So being successful means first feeling in tune with myself, in peace with myself, that it's like, it feels right for me. That's number one thing of being successful. And the number two is that I actually do have great a number of meaningful connections with people around me that I feel part of, that there is, this is a life I feel part of, that they are with me and they take part of my life. That would be another way of saying, okay, now I am successful. I am doing that. There are people that want me around here. But also I need to add the number of steps because I'm being an entrepreneur, I'm having my business, right? And it's this thing of having a team where people enjoy being there. They want to be there and they contribute to other people. So they, other people are coming back and say like, thank you so much for this story you shared, it's really inspired me to think differently. I'm happy there. And then on top of that, of course, I need to turn it around and I want to be able to pay the team members and so forth. 100%, I really want the money too. But the money will come as a result of what we're actually doing in the way we're doing that. And then I could say that we are profitable, but successful. I just want to say, if we feel good, if I feel good, and I can contribute, I am successful. Right. Fulfilled too, I imagine. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the road there. Yeah, I think that a lot of people have this focus of success. And I've seen people make this transition, right, where they are seeking the fame, they're seeking the money, uh, achieve that and find that they have not been fulfilled and realize that maybe that dream that they've been chasing is wrong. And that's not really in judgment of people that are chasing the dream to be, you know, whatever fame looks like or have a certain amount of money in the bank. But I think it really makes us all need to question what are the things that are really important in life? Uh What are the things that we actually want to achieve? How do we get there in a way that's meaningful to us and in a way that fulfills us in this journey we have in life? I would like to pop back on this authenticity and I would just like to say, ask anyone who's listening right now, and even you, Rebecca, are you honestly going to tell yourself that you feel successful if you don't feel that you're in tune with yourself, that, th- that you are being you? Yeah. And maybe this is one reason why we have a lot of people feeling imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, when, I grew, when I grew up in Sweden, what really started my, for me was I, I wanted to prove other people wrong. And I realized that at one point in my life, but you know, I, I, that I had been running around. I had been running around. I think I've been running around for, for 26 years. I was about 27, 28 when I realized that I've been spending so much more of my time in my life trying to prove other people that they were wrong, whatever they said to me, or to prove them who I am, rather than just proving myself that I am who I am and that I can do things. It took a lot of self-reflection to get to that insight, but it was the best of my insights in my life. And again, I've been running around for about 26, 27 years doing that. 
And now when I'm in tune with me, I can easily spot in others when they're not. And going back to this thing of authenticity, a question I have is, can you be authentic without coming from a point of vulnerability? Right. And I don't think so. I don't think so either. I tell you what, when I started being vulnerable with my own story and my own experiences, that's the point where I started to have that transition. And some of that was with my public speaking, mm-hmm. taking my topics from just very dry business topics to personal experiences and challenges and finding people connect uh-huh. to that. Like I'll never forget doing a talk about my personal experience with burnout and being very raw and honest about how it impacted me physically, mentally, and so forth. Having people come up to me afterward and hugging me, which blew my mind, but really spoke to that importance of authenticity, honesty, and building connections with other people. Because the reason I got hugs was not because I gave a public speech. The reasons I got hugs is because people related to my story because they experienced something very similar and felt relieved that they weren't the only ones. No. And they probably felt, how to say this, it's like, One of my last public speaking training sessions that I did, and I'm asking this group in front of me for feedback at the end of the two-day session, and one of the women, she looks at me and says, okay, this is a 10 out of 10, but I'm like, great, what makes this a 10 out of 10? And she looks at me, and then I see how she starts tearing up. She has to tune in. I mean, I'm challenging her to tell me why. And she, she starts tearing up, and she goes... Because I've been thinking about doing so much of what you've been talking about, so much, and you have been that missing piece of energy that made it tip over. And I think that's what many of us do in our daily lives, by just telling stories sometimes and giving a tip or two or being there for another person. And probably that's what you did too, that people don't walk up to you to hug you because you gave a speech. They go up to hug you because you were the one that said something in a way that it just tipped over for them and said, oh my God, it's such an emotional moment. And I have to say, I got to give credit to all those people in my life Mm. that gave me those moments, like those turning points. Uh I call them catalyst moments, right? We all have these moments that just change us in some way and move us in a different direction or nudge us in a different direction. I've had many people in my life give me those catalyst moments to make me question things or made me think differently about things in a way that moved me forward in a better direction. I think everybody, and this is maybe one of those things, I'm going to go ahead and challenge the listeners right now that this thing that Eric and I are talking about, that we have experienced to some extent, is not limited to us, that every person has the ability to leverage their own personal strengths, their own story, the things that they have to contribute to make a difference in other people's lives and have the ability to help contribute and shape our future. Mm. And I guess that is a challenge that I want to put out to listeners as well. I would like to also leave with, there's something that comes back so often when I meet people and I'm telling them about how to communicate, to engage more online or if it's on stage or you just, as a leader. And I realized it not long ago, this thing of, we want to talk about products, services, the company, the brand, the business. And every time I first, people go off and go, yeah, but that's against the policy. We cannot do this. We cannot say this. Like, why should I use my social media to talk about the business? I cannot do this. And I, I realized like, you're not supposed to talk about the business, the products or the service. 
You're supposed to talk about who you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it, what connects you to what your business is doing, what brings you up in the morning. Like if you're in a management position in a IT company, you know, what is it that you're doing? What connects you to what you're doing there? Like, what is that? Talk about that. And then the whole thing will come because you're a representative. You are a part of the business, right? So I would just say that, and pe people now go like, yeah, but my story is me. I don't, I mean, no. And I go, yes. And then comes this killer statement. But my story is not that special. Or, yeah, but I'm not like, you see those other ones out there? And I must say, I am sensing that there's some type of competition on whose story is either the best or the worst going on in the world. And that, can you please stop doing that? It is not about that. It's not the competition about this. Your story is different from someone else's story. It's not about that. But unfortunately, I'm seeing that that's stopping people from even thinking about sharing their story. Right. Everybody has a story that's valid and important and even more important than that connects us with other people that have had similar experiences in life. Yeah, definitely. Eric Eklund, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure. But to be honest with you, I felt amazingly connected with you and you pushed the buttons exactly where I wanted you to push them without knowing what, what will come. So I really thank you for that, Rebecca. You're amazing. So are you, Eric. Thank you so much. Eric provides a rare combination of vulnerability, honesty, authenticity, and joy. From his personal journey through his work in helping others demonstrate authenticity, this conversation was truly meaningful. In relation to the concepts of personal brand and thought leadership, I'd like to provide a bit of a clarification. This was not a judgment of these concepts, nor of those people that apply them. Rather, this was an exploration of the true meaning of authenticity in ensuring that we align these concepts to the truth of our experience, skills, strength, and knowledge. Then, we can present ourselves exactly as we are, while bolstering the connections we have with others who might also feel free to be exactly who they are. So, I hope the same for you. Value your relationships, leverage your authenticity, and show the world what you have to offer. Take your experiences, skills, strengths, and perspectives to make a difference in this world, now and in the future. So, go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Eric Eklund and his amazing work, find him on LinkedIn or email him at eric at storiesoferic.com. That's eric at storiesoferic.com. I am Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Music by Ryan Sullivan, Rebecca Scott, and Victoria Scott. Credits and resources from this episode can be found in the episode notes at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.